You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. The fourth candle represents love. And so we're going to be talking about how the Christmas story is a love story. The Christmas story is a love story. Now, it might not be a love story uh, with princesses and princesses like Disney, like you feel familiar with, but it's a love story between the creator and his creation, between a God and humanity, between God and you. Uh, this is a different kind of love story, much like Jesus is a different kind of king. And um, so this is going to be good for us to dig into today especially as we near the conclusion of 2020, a year that many people have been thanking God is almost over and saying uh, it's, it's been a terrible year. Um, but as Christians, it's good for us to remind ourselves of the reality of God's love throughout 2020. And Christmas is the perfect opportunity to do just that. So join with me as we focus on God's love, what it looks like, and how we can identify it and see it in our lives. Um, John, Jesus teaches in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the arrival of Jesus to earth is a story about this kind of love. God loved the world in this way. So we're taking a closer look this morning at some of the characters, a couple in particular. We'll look at the setting. And as we go through, we'll be looking at how we are invited to continue to be a part of God's love story even uh, today. So as we heard in the reading, the good news of the long-expected Messiah was first told to shepherds. It was first told to shepherds. Now, they seem like they would have, should have been, uh, the last choice on earth to receive the angel's announcement. Shepherds seem like the most unlikely of people for the angels to appear to. But it's on purpose, and it's a clue for us as to what kind of love story God is telling us, the kind of story, again, like I said, that we've never heard before. It's not what we expected. I sent an image uh, to Connor on PowerPoint if he has the rendition there of the angels appearing from Thomas Cole, an American painter. I love uh, especially old depictions of biblical stories or, or new ones. I love any of them because... They're just very interesting to have these visualizations of what happened. Uh, so here's a, a good picture for us to uh, just to look at of the angels showing up and announcing to the shepherds in the hillside. Um, so God chose the shepherds on purpose. The shepherds represent in this story the fact that God's love is for everyone. The shepherds represent that God's love is for everyone, especially in this case, even those who we may not expect God to love or to view as worthy of such a message. 
the news of salvation is a blessing, it's, but it's not only for Israel or the people who were expectantly waiting in a certain sense, how they pictured it, but it's a promise for the world. The angels say to them, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you very good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for all the people. And this is especially significant for the shepherds because uh, shepherds, due to the type of work that they did, were religiously unclean. So what this means is that they could not approach God's presence in the temple unless they went through a very particular process of being cleansed and cleaned and so on, and then only after that could they uh, worship in the temple. But these are the people that God sent the angels to be near and announce them to, um, and invite them to, not the temple to find God, but to a barn or a stable or a cave and find him there and celebrate. And it's actually quite fitting when we think of it this way, that they could find God in a manger instead of in a palace or temple because they're with animals, right? They're familiar in this setting. I like to imagine Bethlehem is a small place. They probably knew the, the exact location when they found it. They might have known the person who owns the barn. Perhaps they'd been there before, right? They work with animals. And this is where God sent them to find his son at the stable in such a place as that. This blows my mind. And as I was thinking about it, I was um, reminded of something that's said in Hebrews chapter 4. This sounds like, to me, a description of exactly what those shepherds went through on that first Christmas. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, it's Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Let us find Jesus in the manger, in their case, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. The love of God is an open invitation for all people, especially for the weak, to draw near in our time of need, to sit before Jesus, the Son of God, the way of life. He's near to the shepherds, and he's near to us. And, and I believe like him, like the shepherds, we'll find him in some surprisingly familiar places or places which we may not expect if we're willing to seek him. So the shepherds symbolize that God's love is for everyone, but they also symbolize more about the kind of leader that Jesus would be, uh, the life that Jesus would live. During his ministry, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Jesus called himself a shepherd, and the, he called his people sheep. Uh, from John chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is the shepherd, the people are his sheep. This kind of makes sense. But not only is Jesus the good shepherd, he's also the lamb. 
he calls, he's called the Lamb uh, by John, his cousin. As he approaches before Jesus is baptized in John 1, 29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what does this mean? Well, lambs are an animal that represents purity, and they were sacrificed for the sins of people, weren't they? Uh, so John announces that Jesus is the Lamb of God, so this connects us back to the shepherd's role in the story again. Uh, Hebrews teaches us as well about how Jesus is our sacrifice and Jesus is the Lamb in Hebrews 9. So I wanted to read part of that as well as part of Romans 8. Uh, Hebrews 9, 1, uh, 11 to 12, excuse me. Uh, Christ has appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And then later in verse 22, according to the law, Almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So Jesus is the lamb, the shepherds point us to the fact that Jesus is the shepherd, and the Lamb of God, the better and final sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. These shepherds are unlikely characters in the love story of Christmas. This is the way that God loves the world, though. He sends his son at Christmas and invites the shepherds to the reception, to the baby shower of his son. So we talked about some of the characters, the shepherds, and what role they play in the story, but I also need to talk briefly uh, about the setting of this story, where it took place. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they had to make a trip to Bethlehem for a census, which we heard this was 130 kilometers, um, probably on a donkey or whatever. Um, but the mood of this trip would not have been a happy one. It's not like a road trip in the, for summer holidays or something like this. No, the, ne the necessity to go to Bethlehem for the census was a reminder of the fact that God's people were living under Roman rule and Roman law. The census was probably for the purpose of paying taxes uh, to Caesar, as it said. So uh, not to mention the fact that Mary was um, probably nine months pregnant. So uh, there's... There's a mood there that's going on, but it's, it's for a reason. Um, it wasn't, again, a random thing that happened, but it was a fulfillment. It was a part of God's plan, uh, of, a fulfillment of the prophecy from the prophet Micah, which was over four, 400 years previous to Jesus' birth. We can read about this in Micah 5.2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah, one will come from you to be the ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So the significance of the setting shows us that in spite of the situations which seem uh, just human, so cultural things, uh, political things, and so on, 
God was working his plan through these things, right? God was working through them. If not for the Roman rule and the taxes and the census and so on, then, you know, logically speaking, Jesus would not have been born in Bethlehem, but would have been born somewhere else. Um, But God was working his love into the details of this story, knowing the very time and place that his son was supposed to join the world and causing this to happen, whether they understood it at the time or not. I was surprised uh, when I learned about Bethlehem that uh, the Hebrew, which would be Bet uh, Lehem, we say it Bethlehem, anyways, the Hebrew word is translated uh, to house of bread, house of bread. This is what Bethlehem means. And Jesus, who calls himself the good shepherd, also calls himself the bread of life in John 6, doesn't he? Jesus is the bread of life. He was born in a place that's called the house of bread, which I thought was uh, pretty awesome. So God worked. He worked to write this love story in, in both the big, profound ways, but also in smaller, specific details with the shepherds, with the setting and the time and place of Jesus' birth. God was using what seemed like ordinary or even uh, difficult realities of life on earth at that time to make them a part of his love story of Christmas. So as we think of ourselves, I don't know what unique hardships uh, you're dealing with, but I can promise you, I assure you, that they are not outside of the reach of God's supernatural love. The same love that is on display at Christmas is involved in our lives. And we need to remember this as we experience the good and bad of our days, right? God is with us as we experience the things that just make us human, normal life. God became human, right? And he suffered with and for each one of us. At the start, I mentioned... Uh, you know, we're nearing the end of 2020. People seem relieved or upset or a combination of both. Um, and in the past weeks, I've found myself feeling, uh, you know, frustrations and disappointments as well with pandemic stuff and with Christmas and December. The things that I normally associate with this time of year, I'm missing, right? The people who I would love to see and the things I would love to do, some of that we're not allowed to do. Um, And I know that many of us feel this disappointment and frustration as well, whether it's with things related to COVID or other things altogether. And yet, in spite of my frustrations or disappointments, the thing that I felt God reminding me in his love is that the things that I look forward to at this time of year, uh, as wonderful as they may be, they don't actually define Christmas in the truest sense, right? The traditions we enjoy, they may be good, but they are not what make the deep sense of wonder and joy and hope and peace and love that we've been learning about at this season. Uh, Jesus does this, right? Christmas is, has always been about Jesus, and it still is as much about Jesus today as it was at the start. And this is a good reminder for me and all of us, I think, as we deal with our own sets of frustrations or disappointments at this time of year, whatever they look like. The gospel, the good news of the Christmas story, it teaches us that God's love is not like any other definition of love that we may come across. The love of the gospel is the best love that we can know. 
God loved his creation in a way that he would come and be a part of it to make it right again. 1 John 4 describes this for us beautifully. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and him in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. You are loved in this way. You are loved with the kind of love that steps into your reality and brings it into the life of God through Jesus. Not only that, but with his spirit, as we confess and believe and receive the spirit, we are enabled to uh, love others, to love our family and friends, to love our neighbors, even our enemies, as Jesus teaches and as we do this, we love people like Jesus did. First John teaches that God's love, though he is invisible, it's put on display for people to see through our likeness of Jesus. So God's love transcends. It transcends our circumstances, our challenges, the things that we deal with. And because of this, I invite you today to worship at the manger, like the shepherds did in the Christmas story. I invite you to abide and to remain in God's love, as we just heard, no matter what uh, joys or sorrows await you in the remainder of this year and into the next, or as you reflect on the last year and deal with it as well. Remain and abide in God's love, because he is with us. Emmanuel means God with us. In the Christmas story, is a love story where God loved us in this way. He joins into our reality. He becomes one with his creation in order to redeem it and bring it back to God, our Father in heaven, by his grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we need a Savior. You know that we needed a Savior. So we thank you for sending Jesus the true Savior of the world. Thank you, God, that you made a way for us, that whoever confesses Jesus as Lord is saved. We are secure. And while we experience this year with many challenges and we anticipate the future with mixed emotions and we go through Christmas with all that that entails, Lord, we trust that the power of your love is still at work to bring us into a deeper faith, closer relationship with you in the name of Jesus. So God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that it is true, that it is perfect, and that it lacks nothing. 
May we abide in this, Lord. Experience it. Experience the reality of your love today as you invite us once again to be a part of this love story of the gospel. We bless the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.